why would you go back to riding and running easy? Like, I understand if you have a lot of hours, that's the way to do it. But if you only have 10, 11 hours a week, it's probably not the way to do it. That Triathlon Show, episode 98. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Mike Ritchie. The main topics we talk about are quality over quantity in training for age group triathletes, how to balance training with a career and a family, and why taking many weeks off in the off-season and then doing long-slow-distance base building in most cases may be counterproductive for age groupers. A quick intro to Mike. He is the head coach of D3 Multisport in Boulder, Colorado. His career highlights include things like being named the USA Triathlon Coach of the Year. He coached University of Colorado to four straight collegiate national championships. And uh, he has coached many Ironman winners uh, on uh, the age group level and also ITU age group world champions and things like that. Multiple, multiple Kona qualifiers and also many age group national champions. So to say that he knows a bit about what he's talking about when it comes to age group coaching is uh, an understatement to say the least. So we have a great interview on store for you with Mike. But first, let's thank our sponsors. We have Precision Hydration. And as I've mentioned the last couple of episodes, until the end of February, all of you listeners can get one free box of pH electrolyte product just by going to precisionhydration.com and using the code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, at checkout to get to try it out for free. And remember that hydration and nutrition, it should be worked on in training over a long time before your goal race. So now is the time to start, really, uh, if you want to make sure that you you have used all of that, what, what you're wanting to use in your spring or summer races. This episode is also sponsored by Triathlon Corner, a triathlon webshop that you can find on triathlon-corner.store. If you're in the market for anything from running shoes to wetsuits to power meters and bike computers from the best and biggest brands, they've got it. Plenty of great deals to go with it. And of course, they ship worldwide. So that's triathlon-corner.store. All right, so let's jump right into the interview with Mike Ritchie. Today's guest on That Triathlon Show is uh, Mike Ricky, who, as you heard in the bio, has a long, long list of uh, accomplishments. And uh, Mike, how are you today? I'm good, Michael. How are you? Thanks for um, having me on. I'm I'm brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's podcast evening, as as we just talked about. I I have a lot of interviews uh, now going on. So, but oh, it's uh, it's yeah, it's uh, fantastic. Uh, it's. Uh, one of those days that you realize that you love your job, isn't it? Oh, that's those are the days you want to last forever. <laughs> exactly. So with you, we discussed uh, over email about what uh, what the topic could be, and uh, and actually we came to the conclusion that maybe something like like how to 
train as age groupers and and the need for quality in training and doing the right training and and balancing the training and life and all those sorts of things would be the main topic so let's just dive right into the first question that i have and that's uh quality over quantity for age group triathletes that was one of the things that you mentioned that would be interesting to discuss so so what's your take on that yeah that's a great question so i think you know um whenever i work with an athlete a new athlete or someone in our coaching group works with a new athlete, usually one of the first questions that comes up, you know, from the athlete is how many hours should I train? I have this goal of X for Ironman or half Ironman or, you know, whatever it is. And I think, you know, I hate to always answer a question with a question, but my, my question is always how many hours do you have? Because if you've got 12 hours to train, you can't train 20 hours, right? So, and if that's the case, then you don't need to be doing a bunch of, you know, easy training for 12 hours. You need to do some quality to put some sort of training effect on yourself so when you get to race day, you're, you know, you have the best race you can. So I think it's always about working, uh, the schedule and the training around, um, the age groupers time limits and, you know, and make it sort of fits in with their life because they, you know, when I was in my twenties and training for Ironman and early, even early thirties, I didn't have a family and I could go do whatever I want all day Saturday and no one said anything because there was no one to say anything right now, you know, that we've got uh, kids, uh, sports on the weekends and I don't have, you know, six hours to go do whatever on a Saturday. So it's, it's a lot different. And, you know, as you uh, age as a coach and you work with younger athletes that are starting to have their own young families, you start to understand that, you know, not everybody has unlimited time. So you got to make the most of that time. I think that's, that's where, um, this idea of quality over quantity, um, started and actually started long before that. But I think it, it plays a big part in, in trying to coach age groupers with the, with the busy lives. So before uh, talking a bit more and going in depth on quality over quantity, what are some typical time ranges that you see that, that age groupers with families and careers usually that, that they tend to have available for training? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, everybody dep- it depends on what your goals are, obviously. Um, you know, I've had guys that are, you know, close to nine hours in an Ironman with families and they train, you know, 16, 17 hours a week. I've trained guys that have gone, you know, 10 and a half hours in an Ironman on 10 hours a week. So, there's a big range though. I mean, it's, it's a big deal to get from 10 and a half hours to nine hours, obviously. Um, and, and obviously training 10 hours a week to 17 hours is a big gap too. But most of the people fit in that 12 to 15 range. Um, and for me, I, I typically think that if athletes can maintain 10 or 11 hours a week during the off season, you know, this being the off season from December to April, May, um, when it becomes time to bump it up to 12 or 14 hours, it's not that big of a jump. Um, you know, and if you do an Ironman, yeah, maybe you do a couple of big weeks that are 16, 17, maybe even a 20 hour week here or there, not mandatory, um, but it's a, it's a confidence booster. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, what the goals are and, and really, you know, is this guy trying to go from 14 hours to 12 hours? Is he trying to go from 12 hours to 10 hours? Is he trying to go from 10 hours to nine hours? I mean, it just depends. Um, and it depends on the athlete's ability and how fast they adapt and how fast they can recover. So there's a lot that goes into it besides just, you know, how many hours, um, I think every age grouper thinks that they should train, you know, like a professional 30 hours a week. But the difference being uh, they don't have the time to recover because they still have a job to take care of. They have other responsibilities, family and all kinds of other things going on. So it's just a little different, you know? Yeah. What about if you're not training for an Ironman, if you're training for, for a sprint or an Olympic? Does, oh, great that... question. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my sweet spot there. So I think that, um, you know, to be competitive, uh, even at a national level in the U.S., I think you can get away with eight to 10 hours a week for sprint or Olympic an hour a day. Um, you know, I've seen, I've coached some sprint guys that are, they get away with, you know, seven, eight hours a week and they're very competitive. 
And, um, you know, even guys that are top 20 at nationals, we've done it on eight and a half, nine hours a week consistently. Doesn't mean there's not a 12 hour week, but there's also probably a six hour week or a four hour week in there at some point too. So, but it all balances out to that eight, nine, 10 hours, which is, you know, relatively, you know, an hour a day, hour and a half a day, nothing too terrible. Um, and, and those athletes that are training for sprint and Olympic and are time limited, usually they have a day off too. So, you know, that Saturday that the half Ironman, Ironman guy might be riding four hours, this guy's riding an hour and a half and running 20 minutes off the bike. So completely different. But um, I, I think on shorter racing, um, yeah, you can certainly train at a lower level. And obviously the, the quality is going to be a lot higher and um, you're going to get a lot more training effect uh, on a week-to-week basis. It also sounded uh, when you talked about those Ironman times that the edge groupers have available that either it's a case of the people that have the most time available to train are the best or the people that that want to be the best they just find the time to train somehow to train a bit more uh per the requirements and obviously there's a limit to that as well but but is that something that you see that some people just manage to Um, to find that that is yeah so you know I, i live in boulder and it's kind of funny because you, you go to a coffee shop at 10 o'clock any day of the week and it's packed with people and you wonder if anybody works, right? Um, but you can go to the pool and master session is filled at 11 a.m. and it's filled at you know 7 a.m. and it's filled at 5 a.m. and people are on the roads all the time. So maybe people make it um, make training a part of their um, lifestyle and maybe they make their job around the training sometimes. So maybe they do some work in the morning, they get a uh, mid-afternoon ride in for a couple hours, and maybe they work more in the afternoon. But I, I think you're right. I think that those people, um, they can create the time around their jobs and maybe a little more flexible. Um, and certainly maybe um, maybe they don't have high-stress jobs because they've made you know a good amount of money in their lives and they can kind of get to the point where, well, I can only I only need to work 30 hours a week and they can take, take that extra 10 hours and train or take that 10 hours of, of time and trade it up between training and, and recovering, right? Because that's a huge part of this component too, especially when you get in that 20-hour week range. You need that training that recovery time as well. So I think that's a good point. I think it's um, you, people do make the hours to make it happen. Yeah, and so sometimes they sacrifice other stuff too. So kind of a sidetrack, side but if somebody wants to go to their boss and maybe go to PubMed and, and grab a couple of studies about how how endurance sports is beneficial for reducing sick days and, and et cetera. And maybe that will allow you to train in the afternoon and then work more <laughs> in the evening perfect. instead. Yeah. Well, I would bet that that's true. I would bet that you're, you know, they should pay less for health insurance and all that stuff because they're probably not sick. I mean, if you get hit by a car, that's a major problem. But, I mean, otherwise, uh, you're probably more productive at work, more efficient. You get you get in there, get your work done, and, and get out to train, right? So you don't want to mess around too, long, too much. Yeah, work. yeah, it, it is actually true. I, I know, know it for a fact. I've seen the studies. <laughs> okay, yeah, so let, let's go back to the quality, quality over quantity. And sure. uh, maybe... Can you give us a couple of, of scenarios that uh, you worked with athletes and, and how this plays out in, in real life? Yeah, sure. So, um, let, you know, let's say I have an athlete that's with me and they've used a traditional periodized program and they kind of go three weeks up and a week down and they're kind of doing some, you know, base training, quote unquote base training this time of year, maybe December through February before they start doing intervals in March and, you know, all that stuff. What I would say to them is um, if you came off your season November and let's say you did a Olympic or a half Ironman at the end of the year, you have good fitness, um, you know, why would you go back to riding and running easy? Like I understand if you have a lot of hours, that's the way to do it. But if you only have 10, 11 hours a week, it's probably not the way to do it. Um, I would rather see them get in there, get in the pool and, you know, work on technique and do some speed and then do some endurance stuff and work on some speed. And then the next day get in, work on some, you know, more technique stuff and maybe work on 
some more endurance, like different types of things like that. Then, you know, uh, you don't get on your trainer and just spin for an hour. You do some VO2 work. And maybe it's only six or eight minutes of VO2 work, but it's huge. I mean, it, uh, the, the training effect is just makes a huge difference. Um, that's how you're going to raise the threshold, right? And then you go do an FTP test and the, the FTP goes up. Um, and then on, on, the, on the run, and I'm not saying that you have to go to the track every week, but, you know, get on the treadmill or get outside and run eight times a minute fast, you know, at your 5K pace. Like, just keep touching those different energy systems and keep, keep touching those speeds so you never lose contact with it. So when it comes time to race and you're like, wow, I haven't raced in six months and I haven't really done a ton of speed work, um, you know, except those easy sessions I do once a week where it's eight times a minute or something like that. But then they go out there and they hit the times and they go, wow, it's because they never really lost their fitness and they never lost the speed, right? And now we can, now we get into the season or close to the season, we can add in some of the harder stuff where it's 800s and sets of 400s on the track or, you know, I'm talking about running right now, but, you know, things like that where you can keep, you know, building um, the fitness throughout the season. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, the old way. I mean, there's different ways and we've, we've evolved. I mean, it's, it's, we've evolved as, you know, society, hopefully, and hopefully our physiology and learning and, and teaching others how to do it has evolved too. Yeah, and obviously periodization principles were developed with uh, with elite athletes that did yeah. nothing but train in mind. So, so we right. need to adapt that to to the age groupers. So, so when you say that when you're coming off your your off season and mm-hmm. and you have that contact with with the speed work, is that do you have a full on speed work session in a week, or is it usually more gradual that you have those eight times one minute? So that can be yeah. seen as a very light speed session, or or how does that work? Right. Great question. So, you know, in a traditional, in a traditional running program, if you, if you go back and look at Lydiard or Jack Daniels or anybody like that, um, typically you're doing speed two or three times a week. And, and that speed work may only be six times 30 seconds at the end of a long run or, you know, uh, five times 40 seconds in the middle of an hour run, something like that. But you just, all you're trying to do is just touch that speed. So your body, neuromuscular, your body understands like, oh, this is what it's like to run fast. Let me remember this, right? It's the same thing. It's just the same concept. And so that would be an easy session, right? So six times 30 seconds would be an easy session session. Four times 40 seconds would be easy session. Um, and then you would maybe get on the treadmill and do something where, okay, let's do 5k pace for a whole minute, or let's do it for 90 seconds or whatever, but let's hold it. And let's do eight of them repetitively on a short rest. We're going to do them on the same amount of rest. So it's not, not super hard, but you're just touching it. Right. So those would be kind of like, that's how I would begin the off season, something like that on the bike. I would, I would do more intensity just because it's easier to recover. Right. So, Maybe Monday is a VO2 session where you're doing six times 30 or 10 times 30 seconds on off where it's 30 seconds of VO2, you know, 30 seconds recovery. And then maybe Wednesday would be something like threshold, but maybe it's only four times three minutes at FTP, right? So you're just training at threshold, three minutes on, three minutes off. And then toward the end of the week, they do some sort of a, they can get outside or do Zwift or something. Maybe they do a 90 minute, two hour ride, or maybe there's some tempo in there. Maybe there's a hill on Zwift. They climb a couple times and they do, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes of climbing at, you know, zone three. So throughout the week, they've touched all the energy systems, right? They've touched VO2, they've touched threshold, they've touched tempo. Um, not in huge amounts, but as they get closer to the race and they do race-specific training, you know, if they're going to do a hilly Ironman or a hilly Olympic, then yeah, maybe it's going to be more tempo or more strength work because it's a hilly course. I mean, obviously you want to tailor the training to what the, the race is, right? And obviously what the athlete's weakness is too. So there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, but between the bike and the run, um, those two things being the majority of the race, you know, 80 to 90% of any race, those are the things you need to focus on. Um, and, and once you have that speed work built, it only takes, you know, four to six weeks to give anybody endurance. It doesn't take a long time because they've, they've obviously been training for a while. They have endurance, but maybe they need more endurance. 
So maybe now you go do your two, three hour rides. But, you know, before maybe you ride them at 16, 17 or 30 kilometers an hour. And now you're riding them at, you know, 20 miles an hour just because your fitness is better, right? You've, you've been working on FTP, working on VO2. And, you know, that just raises the whole bar and makes, makes everything easier and you're more efficient and faster. Yeah, so That's it, kind of how I view it. Yeah, yeah, very interesting points there. And, and I think that probably that answers a lot of questions that that you probably see as well from from people that are wondering why they seem to to be stuck at a single speed in, and, and not improve and, and a lot yeah. of that may come down to down to actually fluctuations and, and letting go too much in yep. in parts if, of the season if i could give you one example like, and, and then this has happened at, at least 20 times to me someone comes to me and they and i swear they run a 30 minute 5k an hour 10k and a two hour half ironman a two hour half marathon run. that's all the same pace right yeah and they go out there and I say, look, just go run six times 30 seconds twice a week. They do that Tuesday. They do that Thursday. They still do their long run. But all of a sudden, their long run is now like 20 seconds a mile faster. And then and then their easier runs are 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden, they go from a 30-minute 5K to a 27. And they go, how did I do that? I'm not doing anything different. And I'm like, oh, you are. Because the neuromuscular patterns have changed so much that you're running these quick runs at 8.30 pace for 30 seconds. And your body's saying, oh, I get this. I understand this. And then it starts becoming the norm, right? I mean, that's how we change things. And um, that 10 minute pace is no longer what their baseline is anymore. Now it's becomes, you know, nine minutes or something. They run faster. So I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really simple, easy stuff sometimes that we just kind of overlook. And I know I read a lot on the internet sometimes, but, but the, the one, the one takeaway I always get from most articles is that we always worry about the last 5% of something, but it's really the first 95% we got to focus on. Right. Like that yeah, last 5% true. is yeah. those sexy track workouts where you did eight times a mile or you did 2400s. Like that's all great. But if you didn't do this, that other 95% of the stuff to get there, that track workout wasn't going to go that way. And if you don't do that track workout, chances are you're still going to run probably pretty close to your goal. You know, maybe you're not going to hit it exactly in, in that, that those 400s tune you up, so to speak. But it's the 95% that matters, really. Right. Yeah. Perfect. And so what about? When when you move closer to your race races, then how how does that change? Do you have you 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 already touched on that that you have the bigger more amounts of that speed work, but does that change some other sessions in the week, or or how how does the overall structure of a week change? Yeah, when- yeah, definitely, definitely. So if I you know if um if we got into a point where you know maybe we can drop VO two on the bike, for example, um you know maybe we do just some sort of easy riding earlier in the week because you know, I like to keep the frequency up. I think it's important to. To ride four times a week, run four times a week, if not more, if you have the time. Um, I think that's the key. A lot of people want to ride and run three times a week, I, and I think that's fine. But you know, if you want to make progress, it has to be four to five times a week. And and maybe we should talk a little bit about block training. But um, in terms of you know a week, like I would take out that that other that first hard ride, maybe the threshold, you know, maybe that threshold workout instead of you know being twelve to twenty minutes now becomes twenty to fifty minutes. So it's a much longer session. It's really getting ready for the, ready for that Olympic distance race, and then on the weekend, if you're going to go do like an Olympic simulation, you know, I'd have an athlete do you know two times twenty at two times twenty minutes at their Olympic distance effort, right? Pace, heart rate, um, RPE, watts, whatever they want to do, and then get off the bike and try to run you know three or four miles at Olympic distance pace, like make it a real simulation. Because if you can do that, you know, loaded with fatigue, once you taper, you should be able to do, you know, the entire race at that effort or pretty close. So you know, that's, a, that's a, a big thing. So if you can drop one of those harder sessions, 
make that middle threshold session a little longer and then add another one on the weekend if you recovered for it, you know, then you're going to see big gains doing you know, a good amount of threshold training each week. So, so how, how do you recover? The, the sessions in between are easier. Is there anything yeah, else? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I mean, it's the whole like, you know, run like so slow that it's embarrassing to see you or, you know, get in the pool and just kind of float up and down the pool a few times. You know, if you're a, if you're a guy who's a girl that swims 120, 130, 100, maybe you just kind of, you know, floating along at two minutes, 100 or 145, like just working technique and just get some recovery. You know, if you've got, you know, the option to use recovery boots and stuff like that and stay on top of sleep and nutrition. And, and those things are, you know, so overlooked, but they're so important. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, swimming and cycling are obviously the two easiest things to do for recovery. And um, I, I give them to my athletes, you know, every week, even in the off season, they're, they're doing that kind of stuff to recover just to kind of keep the blood flow going and, and you know, help the damaged tissue and, you know, help repair and, and just get them to the point that when they get to that next key session, they're ready to go. So that, that's um, it's a big part of it. Perfect. And I'll take you up on that. Let's talk a bit about uh, block training. Uh, yeah, you yeah, mentioned yeah. that. That's interesting. So what, what yep. do you have? Yep. So I've been doing this a long time. Um, I, had a, I had a coach named Rick Niles way back in the early 90s. And uh, we talked quite a bit about this. We did sports-specific training a lot. And uh, what I learned from that was that um, when you're weak in one area, if you don't focus on it, like as a triathlete, I feel like Unless you get injured, you never work on your weak sport, right? So if you're a swimmer and you hurt your shoulder, then maybe you got extra time and maybe you're riding the bike more, maybe you're running more if you're a, if you're a runner and you're not a swimmer and you hurt your, your shin or your ankle or something, maybe you're not running as much and then you have to get in the pool five days a week and your swimming gets better. So, so you know, why do we have to wait for an injury for this to happen, right? So I think the big thing is to take your weakest sport at some, you know, you start in December, November 1st, December 1st whatever you want to do, January 1st is fine and take eight weeks and just focus on that sport. So you're doing it five or six days a week and let's take swimming for example. And let's say you're doing your two normal big workouts. One's, you know, 3000, one's 4,000, 3,500, whatever. And then the other three sessions can be, you know, a thousand yards. You can swim a 1500, you know, thousand meters, 1500 meters and whatever, another thousand or 2000 meters. But Within those, like one's a recovery, one might be a speed session with just a bunch of 25s, and another one may, might be just 50s. But if you can do that for eight weeks, right, and then obviously you're still going to run, you know, twice a week, two or three times a week, you can bike, you know, two or three times a week. And that's where I would say, you know, for the bike, insert one day of VO2 and one day of tempo, and maybe, you know, that's kind of your bike for the week. And then the running could be the same thing. One day with some, you know, 30-second pickups, and maybe the other day is long, and maybe you throw a little tempo in the end. So you're still hitting all the energy systems just in a different way. But after those eight weeks are up, like I typically have someone do a thousand you know, meter time trial in the beginning and have one do it at the end of the eight weeks. And even with all that load and all that fatigue, typically they swim much, much faster. And it's really the frequency and learning the feel for the water. And the reason I bring up swimming is because it's for many triathletes, it's such the, the hard thing to do. Um, and they don't get better at it because they just don't immerse themselves in it. Um, and then, and then after those eight, eight weeks are over, then you go to your next week of sport, like say if it's cycling. So now we're going to bike five days a week and maybe we're going to, you know, we're going to do the VO2, we're going to do the threshold, we're going to be the tempo. But really the whole idea is just get your butt in the seat and just ride, just ride and ride, ride. And after eight weeks, you should feel a lot better. And obviously test in the beginning, test in the end, hopefully the FTP has gone up and usually it does. Um, and then if you have time you can do a run block, um, typically don't have to worry about doing the strength, um, event so if you're you know if, if in triathlon the runs your strength maybe you don't need to do a run block you can you certainly can and if you think about this whole thing it takes six months so if you start in november 1st 
you're not done till April 30th. But if you're not racing till June 1st, you got plenty of time to be in shape, even though you just had six months of incredible training. So that's the other thing with triathletes. Like they do something like this and they go, oh, my run's going to, you know, go to pot. Well, no, it's not because your fitness is going up in all three sports across these months, right? So um, I've used this concept for a long, long time and it's, it's really, it's, it's been awesome and it, it's helped so many people just get over the hump of having a, to say, oh, I hate the run because I stink at it or I'm not a good cyclist or we, we can change that. You can certainly change that if you want to put the, t- the work in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As always, it requires doing the work, but but as long as you do it, then uh, there are ways 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 to do that. And I recently moved to Lisbon myself. I, I oh, think, cool. don't think I've told you that, but I'm now part of a, a triathlon club here, and oh, and I swim cool. five times per week, so my swim volume has has doubled easily, <laughs> if not more. And yeah. uh, and even even as, yeah, as a as a fairly advanced triathlete, this is my fastest rate of improvement in swimming ever, <laughs> just yeah. because of the, the amount that I'm swimming. And you wouldn't expect that. You would expect the improvements to to be, yeah, become slower and slower sport. as you as you go along. Yeah, swimming yeah. is my weakest sport, but but <laughs> no, well, from hopefully not soon. <laughs> we'll see. But but yeah, definitely just those block. And I, I kind of see, consider this a, a block training because I have yeah. some some running issues as well. So running injuries ah. that have kept me from running. So uh, so even if if it's not, yeah, I'm I'm one of those. <laughs> that but but I I would be doing the same amount of swimming anyway. So so this definitely doing the frequency, the volume, and and obviously having the right structure to it that definitely right. can bring about big, big improvements. So let's move on to uh, beginners that may be fairly new to the sport, and and all of this may be seems it can seem some somewhat overwhelming, I sure. guess. But sure. uh, so so what what would you tell them to uh, yeah. to focus on, and how how do do they remove the overwhelm about all of this, and and maybe yeah. removing the talk about training ten to twelve times per week or ten to twelve hours per week? Yeah, yeah. And, I think you know. First of all, um, with beginners, one thing I would say is you know be consistent with your training, right? So if um, you know if you want to improve, I mean, if you're starting from zero, three times a week in each sport is fantastic, right? So nine nine workouts a week is fine with a couple of strength workouts or mobility workouts. That would be great too. Um, but for the most part, they just need to do it, right? They just need to go out there and get in the water and swim and, and, and get on their bikes and ride and, and run. Um, and secondly, you know, so consistency is number one. Number two is just have a schedule that you know you can complete each week and check the box. And do you want to make it in the beginning so it's easy to complete? And if it's a struggle, then you're going to get demoralized and you're going to say, oh, I can't do this and it's not going to work. So it's got to be easy enough that, you know, if I were starting with a beginner, I would say, look, someone who's never swam, never biked, never ran, I'd say, look, go swim 200 meters. I don't care. Go swim 200 meters. And the next time, try to swim 300 and the next time, maybe try to swim 500. If you can do that in the first week, that's awesome. And on the bike, maybe they ride, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. And on the run, you know, they can go run. If they can run five or 10 minutes each day, then that's a good start. But, I mean, I'm talking about pure beginner. Um, and then, you know, if it's someone as, they, as they're getting along, then, you know, maybe enough for them would be, you know, three 45-minute rides, three 30-minute runs, and, a, you know, three or four, five to 800-meter swims. It doesn't have to be a lot. They just need a consistency. Um, but, but as you know, like joining a swim squad, it's a huge, huge thing, you know, helps your swimming a ton as long as you're not intimidated, right? Cause I mean, if you get in there and you're swimming two and a half minutes, a hundred, then, you know, and everybody else is, you know, under two minutes, then you feel like, you know, you're the slow guy and you are the slow guy, but you got to kind of keep at it. And, and maybe group training isn't the thing for you at that time. Maybe you still need to work on it your own, but I still feel like 
it's important to get in that group because I think that's the easiest way to get faster because you can learn a lot. You can see how fast, faster people swim and, and kind of copy how they, how they do it and, and simu- sim- simulate how they swim. So um, it's kind of a catch-22 with the swimming for sure. Uh, but, but joining a run group is a great thing, right? Kind of get going. But I think whatever you can do to, one, be consistent um, and, two, have a schedule that you can complete on a week-to-week basis, you're going to see huge gains over time, huge. And, and you, can, you don't feel bad you know, moving the 30-minute runs to 45 and then eventually you have an hour run and then all of a sudden you're in an hour and a half. And, you know, same thing on the bike. You start out with 30 minutes and 45 and then an hour and then you're at an hour and a half, two hours easily. And, you know, the endurance comes quick. It really does. As, as humans, um, we adapt pretty quickly. Yeah, it's uh, you're you're setting yourself up to up to win simply, and and then you then it becomes a, a self fulfilling prophecy, really. That it just yeah, just keeps, set keeps yourself up for success, right? I mean, that's it. That's what it's about. So, what about if you're moving up to do, say, your your first seventy point three or your Ironman? Uh, what what are the things that that typically change when when you do that and, and start preparing for your first long course race? Yeah, that that's a great question. I think you know. Um, in terms of swimming, right? So, you know, when you go from Olympic to a half Ironman, the swim doesn't change too much, right? So you're going from a 1500 meter to 1800 meters. So not a lot of change. So your swim workouts don't have to change that much. Um, if, if I'm coaching somebody for, uh, for Olympic distance, their long run is typically going to be 80 to 90 minutes. And that's what I like for a long run. I like one and a half times the distance or one and a half times the time it takes them to race. So, um, I, I think moving up to a half Ironman, uh, run. Yeah. Maybe they're going to do two hours. Maybe they'll do two fifteen. That's another 45 minutes maybe. Um, and, and that can gradually happen over three to four weeks. I don't think the run really takes too long to, to grow safely, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes a week, whatever it is. Um, but the big difference, uh, moving up to half Ironman is obviously the bike because the bike is twice as long. It's still 50% of the race and you're going from, you know, 40 K to 90 K, which is more than double. And really it's just putting the time in on the bike. I mean, if you're, if you're good on the VO2 stuff and you're good on the threshold, um, you know, you're getting your 90 minutes, you're getting your two hour rides in, you know, for half, you're going to want to do, you know, three, three and a half, four hours sometimes. So to build that nice big endurance base. So, um, it's, it's important. I think is really the, the focus is going to be, you know, mostly on the bike and the run, but really mostly on the bike, but that's where all the, all the time goes. And, and I would even say if you move from half Ironman to Ironman, it's still the bike. Because the bike is, you know, now going to double up to, you know, six, seven hour ride if you do the whole, you know, 180 kilometers. So depending how fast you are. So the bike is really the, the big piece of that. And it's carving out the time to do it. Um, and, and I think one mistake people make is that they feel like they have to do a long ride and a long run every single weekend. And I don't think that's necessary. I think you can get away with a good quality bike ride one week and then a good quality run the next week. And I'm not saying you don't bike on the on the weekends you ride, but you don't have to ride six, seven hours. You could do a good three to four hour ride on a Saturday, you know, and then Sunday get up and do your long run on you know heavy legs because obviously you've been you've been riding and you rode a little harder the day before. But um, I don't think time wise you need to you know banging out those hundred mile rides or you know, people tend to think that that's I I, t- I think it's overkill. I don't think you keep, need to keep doing that. I, I would rather have someone who's fresh mentally. Um, and, and physically still putting in some time, just not as much time and, and get to race day fresh and not feeling like, wow, I did 20 hundred mile rides that, you know, that's a lot. It's a lot in your body. And, um, mentally it's can be really draining sometimes. Yeah. I think that's probably comes as a relief to, to listeners who may have thought that the Ironman always automatically comes with a, a weekend, yeah. at least four hour ride moving up right. to six, six, right. seven hours. Right. Uh, so right. that's, uh, 
Okay, so another transition that I want to talk about is uh, yeah. athletes that uh, that are maybe mid-packers and they want to really step up their game and and go to be competitive in their age group. What what would be your top tips for these athletes? And what have you seen in athletes that have taken that those steps? In what are some common attributes of them? Uh, the one thing that I see when people move up from like you're saying back a pack to being competitive, and I'll, and I'll give you my some of my athletes for example. Um, most of the time, it's consistency. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of goals and objectives. Okay. So, you know, we can all have goals. We can say we want to break 10 hours in an Ironman or nine hours, or we want to run a three hour, three and a half hour marathon off the bike, whatever it is. Like, that's a great goal. But what's the objective? Like, what is it going to take me to get there? And there's a lot of things that need to happen, right? So if I run 20 miles a week, am I going to break three and a half hours in an Ironman marathon? Probably not. Like, I know it needs to be 30 to 40 miles a week. I know I need to run four to five days a week. So those are my objectives, right? Um, I know that in order to hit those times that I need to be running my easy paces at X, if it's seven, you know, 50 a mile or it's eight minutes a mile, whatever it is, um, you know, based on, you know, prior, prior results from some of my, some of my racing and some of my training or what I know other people, my size have done, right. Then that, that's one way to look at it. Same thing on the bike. So if we look at Watts per kilo and we say, okay, right, you know, right now I bike three hours, three hours on the nose for, half Ironman and I want to ride 245 but right now my watts per kilo is 2.8 but I know that the guys that ride 230 245 are probably 3233 watts per kilo so I need to get there so now you've got a goal and and with the objective of let's ride four or five times a week let's do some block training whatever it is let's do a, a good amount of threshold training like let's give it a good attempt to try to get to that number right because if you don't get to that number that 245 is a dream I mean you got to be able to hit the watch per kilo. I mean, it's, it's, I think that the way, the way power has changed things that it's, it's pretty simple to say either you're going to ride the time or you're not. If, if aer- aerodynamics are all everything being equal, if you can ride the time, if you can hit the watch per kilo, you're going to ride the time. I mean, I think that it's pretty, pretty simple. I mean, you know, considering that you're going to get nutrition right and all that. Um, I know that's a big if, but um, I think it, it's, it's, it makes your chances for success go from, you know, 50% to 85 to 90%, right? So I think that's the one thing is consistency and having a plan and having objectives and really understanding that I'm not just going out there to run for an hour. I'm going out there to run for an hour at a certain pace. I'm going to do, you know, six strides in there at, you know, seven minute pace, seven, six thirty, whatever it is for my 30 seconds. And then I'm going to do that twice this week. And then I'm going to do my long run at X pace. And at the end, I'm going to run half marathon pace, like have objectives during the week. And it, it's not, you know, my athletes that have made that jump, it's really just because they've gotten more uh, serious about it. They've gotten more specific. They have goals. They try to reach them. Um, you know, it's it's like anything in life. Like, you just got to set yourself up for success, but you got to be able to do the steps. And, you know, sometimes the steps are really boring, but I think to be successful, sometimes it takes just a lot of repetitive uh, things that are boring. But that's what it takes to be successful in a lot of areas. Yeah, that uh, that brings up the old saying. I'm probably butchering it a little bit, but there's it goes something like uh, a, a dream is just like a goal, but without a plan or something like exactly. that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. A, uh, a, a goal is uh, a goal is nothing but a dream without a plan. You got it. You just had a little one word backwards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> hopes, hopes, hopes that one of us got it right at least. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think the listeners will understand what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. Uh, one final question before we move into the rapid fire questions is uh, what would be your best tip or tips for balancing training with your family career time management yeah. wise? 
So I, I got this. I got this secret that I'm going to tell you, but you you, you got to tell your listeners not to tell anybody. Yeah. So here it is. Here's the secret. Train when your family doesn't even know you're training, right? So if they're sleeping at 4 a.m., get up and do the training. And I and I tell you, 90% of my athletes do this. They're on the bike at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. They're off the bike at 6:37. They've got an hour and a half of you know they got an hour run in, hour ride in, and a half hour run, or they've been to the pool and they lifted and they've come back home. They're helping with the kids to get into school or whatever they have to do to help out. And they get home at dinner time and it's all family time. It's not like, oh, I got to go squeeze a workout in or I'm going to be home late because I got to go to the gym. Like get it done early when nobody even knows you're awake and it makes your life so much better. Um, that's one thing. The other thing I think is involving your family in the process. So a lot of my, a lot of my athletes will you know, do a point to point long ride in the summertime and they'll tell their family to join them. So They'll say, hey, I'm going to ride 80 miles to this park, and the family meets them there, and the kids give them their shoes. They do their run for 20 minutes. Sometimes the kids will ride their bikes with them. But you involve the family, and they feel a part of it, and everybody's invested in dad's success or mom's success. Um, you know, and uh, I think that's just a great, a great way to do it and just keep everybody involved. And um, the kids get more excited when they race because they see you do the hard work. You know, it's, it's one thing for your kids to show up and see you race and be like, Oh, there's my dad. He's running by. But then they see you like actually go through the motions in the wintertime and then the summertime. And, um, you know, everybody's kind of invested that way. Yeah, that, those are absolutely great tips. And it's funny how it seems that that training in the morning when everybody's asleep, that seems yeah. to, from the outside, to be such a natural way of how people train in, in the US and, and in the UK as well, which is, which are the two cultures that uh, I guess are easiest to follow just because of where media comes from in triathlon. But I know that in my home country, Finland, that actually it's very uncommon for people to, to train in the morning, oh. relatively speaking, I would say. And, and it's, uh, it's hard to get athletes to, to transition to morning training. And then, but then when, when things fall, uh, fall off the, off the track in, in the evening, when things come up, that's, that really would be the simplest solution. But it's difficult. It seems to be some sort of cultural, apprehension against morning training <laughs> i don't is it, know is it is it because it's more daylight at night uh, in finland or what is the reason uh, no there's always uh just always darkness sun. so <laughs> dark, right? <laughs> oh, which is man. which is why i fled the country <laughs> so let's go into the rapid fire questions and the first one is what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon oh related to triathlon okay so all right i love so it's a great it's a book called good to great it's a business book but I do love it. Um, I think it has a lot to do with everything in terms of life and, and getting things organized. But uh, in terms of triathlon and uh, sport in general, um, I like a book called The Power of Habit. And it really has changed my mindset, not only for myself, but how to coach my athletes and get them to be more focused on habits and getting in there. Because training is a habit, right? Just getting in the habit of learning how to do things. And, and like we just talked about, early, early morning training, right? Yeah, I read that one too. I, I can definitely vouch for that. It's, uh, it's a really great one. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, man, I don't really know. Um, I just got a Garmin watch. I'm going to say that that's it. I've got a Phoenix 5. Um, it's fantastic. It has uh, sleep on here. It tells me the weather. Um, it tells me my training load. So I'm going to go with the Phoenix 5 for now. It, it could change next week, though. You know, triathletes, they love different gear. So um, it's always changing. And finally, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Yeah, I think it's the early morning thing. Um, it's getting up early and just getting the workouts done and making sure something gets done every day and not fall into that 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 medium of missing a workout and the next day, ah, oh, it's okay, I missed yesterday, I'll miss today too. 
I think it's just a habit of getting up early, getting something done, and then feeling like I've accomplished something that day, even if it's only a 30-minute run. Um, that's huge. I think it just keeps the momentum flowing each week. So that's kind of what's really helped me a bit. You know what? What I should do is I should go through all of the podcast interviews I've done and and find all of the guests that have said something uh, along those lines of what you just said and, and add all of those clips together into one big podcast. Right yeah, that's awesome. And that would hopefully be motivation enough for people that aren't yet doing it to get started with it. That's a good idea. Right. Thank you, Mike. This has been really, really awesome. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, the listeners will find this super valuable. Your company is uh, D3 Multisport. And yes. that's on uh, d3multisport.com. Right, right. And you're on Twitter and Instagram at D3 underscore Multisport, I think. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we close off this interview? Uh, no, just being stay consistent with your training, stay healthy, and you know if you need help, reach out to people. There are a lot of resources out there for people to help. And triathlon's a great community sport, and um, I think any coach or uh, you know experienced athletes, even newcomers, love to help you know people coming into the sport and, and get them to understand what a great sport. It's a lifestyle sport. I mean, you can do it the rest of your life, which is awesome. So enjoy. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. All right. Thank you too. I think that this interview probably gave a lot of you, and me as well, a great new perspective on training. Uh, as I, I always get these new perspectives when doing interviews, to be honest, but, but this one was definitely something a little bit extra in terms of getting, getting new thoughts and insights and ideas, so I really, really enjoyed it. And I also had a great post-interview chat with Mike, where actually for once I didn't take the role of, uh, of a fellow coach, but actually uh, we talked a little bit from my athletic perspective, uh, which uh, was really, really great, so I really appreciate that. Thanks for that, Mike. The take-home message today, in my opinion, uh, for all of you is what Mike talked about on not needing to take a long break after your last race and then returning to training with just long, slow distance training. If you want, you're you're probably not going to be very close to to any sort of overtraining. So it's one thing for an elite triathlete that trains 30 hours per week to take a whole month off of no swim, bike, and run, which some do, and they do some cross-training for sure, but but no swimming, bike, and running for one month is completely normal. But for age groupers that do a very limited amount of training, that uh, is going to show in lost fitness. So digging a bit deeper into that, the point about always staying in touch with intensity and with your speed, I think is another very important one within that realm of, of not taking those too long breaks and, and then, well, especially not doing just that long, slow distance training, because if you don't have enough hours, then you're probably not going to get the best return on investment from just that type of training. And I have a few examples of how I like to, to do this, staying in touch with intensity, I should say, because this is definitely a principle that I use in my coaching as well. And so when you get back into training, uh, then what I'll do is I'll give on the run side of things, it will be strides. Uh, so, or just those strides are just like, and hill sprints also, strides are just like 30 second accelerations, 20 to 30 seconds, up to a very fast speed, 95% of max, but always staying relaxed, re being relaxed is the key. And hill sprints, those are eight to 12 seconds, maximum power, really focusing on power and neuromuscular activation there, but su super short, 
both strides and hill sprints have a full recovery, walking recovery, and you might do four strides or six strides and maybe four to eight to even ten hill sprints, depending on what type of athlete you are and uh, how used you are to that t- type of training. But but that's basically how you very easily, with a very limited amount of stress, stay in touch with intensity and speed on the run. And on the bike, I also like doing a similar form of power sprints, like 10 to 20 seconds from a standstill in a hard gear. Uh, also, on the bike, I might be a bit more aggressive with from the start, including some light VO2 max workouts, like, for example... That depends on the athletes, of course, and there's no one-size-fits-all here. But but some athletes may get like two sets of 10 times 30-second repeats, followed by 30 seconds easy spinning between intervals. And then uh, so and then between those two sets, there might be uh, five to ten minutes of, of easy spinning again. So so it's a very light workout for a VO2 max workout with uh, with just 10 minutes in total, and and yeah, pretty easy. But but it keeps you in touch with that intensity and definitely it, it helps maintain the fitness that you have if not improve it at least and in swimming speed work is uh, present basically throughout the year a favorite of mine is uh, 10 times 50 where you break up the 50s into you spring, sprint the first 25 all out and then the the swimming back the second 25 that's just very very easy recovery you can even do backstroke or b- breaststroke going back and then relatively long rests between intervals there might be 30 seconds or even more it depends a bit but those are of course just examples and as i said there's no one size fits all solutions uh, and i think that i'm probably on the run especially a bit more conservative than mike is based on uh, our discussion now but i definitely think that uh, that many athletes could handle quite a bit more intensity throughout the year than just those strides and hill sprints so so i might experiment with with that myself as well and, and include some of those uh, fart leg fart leg times workouts basically would do really well i think even from the very point when you get back into training so yeah those are just my two cents and uh, some takeaways also uh, yeah, one one thing that I could relate to is, uh, or relate this episode to, is the one with Malcolm Brown and what he said about intensity two episodes ago in episode ninety six. Malcolm Brown, if you missed that episode, is the coach, former coach of the Brownlee brothers. Now he's retired, but he said that that doing above race intensity workouts, and he talked about running specifically weekly, pretty much is. Uh, is important that's that's what he said so so yeah um definitely some uh, food for thought there as always you can find the show notes for this episode on that triathlon show.com and uh by the way one thing that i want to mention is that uh, that url is uh, a redirection link so it will take you to scientific triathlon.com forward slash podcast uh, but of course on scientific triathlon.com in addition to the podcast there's a lot of other stuff there I have a free resource center with a video series on effective structured training and a triathlon-specific core training program, a nutrition quick start guide, uh, which is kind of based on the recent podcast episodes that I did for, from the research that, that I've reviewed, basically, from the or that I should say that the uh, American College of Sports Medicine and some other entities in- reviewed the research and I just uh, reported on it. But, uh, but, but it's all an evidence-based nutrition quick start guide. Plus, of course, there's information on training plans and coaching and, uh, and everything that, that I do in triathlon is, is on there. So go and check out that website if you, if you haven't already. 
In Monday's episode, I have an interview with Monique Ryan. She's one of the foremost sports nutritionists in the US. She has worked with USAT and USA Cycling, among others. Uh, plus, she's the author of uh, the, one of the greatest books and, or resources on nutrition, sports nutrition, which is uh, Sports Nutrition for Endurance Athletes, uh, which is produced by Velo Press. So there will be a variety of nutrition topics covered in that one. And that's about it for this episode. Thank you to Triathlon Corner for sponsoring this episode. Triathlon Corner is the online home of shopping the best triathlon products in the world to great prices. They ship worldwide. They guarantee great customer service. They have brands like Garmin, Stages, uh, Café du Cycliste, Zip, Mako, Zonefree, Hoka One One, to name just a few. And you can find them on triathlon-corner.store. And thank you also to Precision Hydration. As I said, you need to train your nutrition and hydration now so to make sure that you have your, uh, your nutrition hydration plan worked in as you enter the races this season. So go and check them out, take their free online sweat test and then get that free box of precision hydration product by using the discount code or free product code, that triathlon show, all one word, at checkout of precisionhydration.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.